It is May 25th, 2022, here again on Wednesday afternoon today for a Lawyer Talk Roundtable edition. You know, it's no secret. Typically, we're doing these Lawyer Talk Roundtables on Wednesday morning, shortly after the Blitz. But this one is a Wednesday afternoon special. Why is it so special? Well, it's a special one because we're here and we're all special. Jared's here at the table and he's sort of special. And Norm is here at the table and he's sort of special too. But it's really special because we are going to have another guest today. Norm is lined up. Frank LaRosa is going to be coming in by technological advancement. He's going to be calling in on our our lawyer talk phone number, and we're going to talk to him about all sorts of things electoral related. He is the Secretary of State for the state of Ohio. And for those who don't know what the Secretary of State does, Secretary of State does things like monitor and maintain and count the, the votes. They do elections. They also accept corporate filing. So if you want an LLC and you happen to be curious about that, you can go to the Secretary of State and they'll walk you through it. Uh, Jared and I have created plenty of LLCs sitting right here at the round table over the last two or three years created one just recently for somebody. So uh, old Frank LaRosa is in charge of that, but that's not what we're really curious about. We want to know what's going on with Ohio's mules, whether Ohio's got Dinesh D'Souza's 2000, or maybe there's like 2001 mules because Ohio's got one. I don't know. Uh, But we're going to talk to Frank LaRosa about the, in all seriousness, about Ohio's elections, what Ohio has done to uh, maintain safe, fair, uh, and uh, secure elections. What Ohio has done to make sure everybody gets a chance to vote, has a right, everybody who should vote does vote, and those who shouldn't don't, um, and make sure that each vote is counted and not too many votes are counted. In other words, what are we doing right and what is everybody else doing wrong? Frank's going to tell us when he calls in here momentarily. And, and before we even get there, I'm going to say, I, I sort of feel like Ohio had a fair election. I, you know, I, I think Ohio has done it right. I don't know that to be a fact yet, and I'm sure Frank will shed some light on that for us, but I feel like... Uh, it just made sense what happened in Ohio in the last couple of elections. So uh, I think that's, uh, I think I'll be, I think Frank will verify that. But anyway, Norm, I appreciate you getting uh, Frank uh, lined up and it looks like he's calling, actually here he is, he's calling in right now. So uh, let's talk to Frank. Hey guys, really appreciate it. Looking forward to the conversation. So Frank, uh, you, you took office in 2019, is that correct? As secretary of state? Yes. Yeah, sworn in in 2019, elected in 2018, I serve as the 51st Secretary of State. My wife's been joking that uh, she thinks we've had to deal with more unusual circumstances than the 50 that came before me combined. We've, we've been through some wild uh, times in the last three years of elections administration in Ohio, but in the same way, I, I love this work, uh, really both sides of this office. We help people vote and we help people start new businesses. Those are the main missions of the Secretary of State's office. And so Boy. I'm honored to be able to do this work. Boy, I'll say you've, you've, you've had a lot on your plate. Um, uh, just, just, you know, by way of introduction, uh, you served, uh, two terms as an Ohio Senator, meaning state Senator. And, um, if I have that correct, uh, you, you done a little farming in your time and you were, uh, uh still a reserve officer, but my, or a, a soldier, but my understanding is, uh, you were in, you were a screaming Eagle 101st airborne and, uh, and then, uh, you know, as a kid, I loved the Green Beret movie with John Wayne. And, you know, it's taking all the control I can to not hum Sergeant Barry Sadler's uh, uh, anthem for you. But uh, yeah, that's all true. Correct. Do I have all that right? You, you, you got it right. And uh, you're right. The, the Barry Sadler version is the original version of the Ballad of the Green Berets. And that song means a lot to me. And of course, any movie with the Duke in it's going to be a good a good movie. But uh, my my teammates called me Peterson. If you're familiar with that movie, yes, he was the team engineer. 
Yeah. Who was known for creative requisitioning, I think we could call it. <laughs> he found a way to make sure he made sure that his teammates had what they need. And a lot of people don't realize this, but on a special forces team, everybody has their combat role, but also an administrative role. The SF team is a very autonomous, um, sort of self-contained unit. And so as the team engineer, of course, I'm in charge of explosives and, and, and all of that. But um, also, I'm in charge of the team logistics. And so whether it's wow. uh, uh, begging, borrowing, or stealing, I made sure that my team had the beans and the bullets uh, to get the job done. And that was something I always really prided myself on. But yeah, I grew up in Copley Township up near Akron. I had the distinct privilege of being able to work on a family farm growing up. It was a great uh, learning experience for me. I still love it. In fact, I I look forward to uh, late June every year when they do the first cut of hay, I'll go back and help them because that's all very manual labor. And I, yeah. uh, Laura, Lauren, my wife, makes fun of me. She says, normal people take a day off and go golfing. You take a day <laughs> off and go farming. There's some, something wrong with you, but, but I, I love it. Uh, I enlisted in the Army when I was 18, started with the 101st, and then uh, uh, the Army uh, gave me the chance to try out to become a Green Beret. And um, I never thought I could do it, but I thought I should at least try. And I uh, went down to Fort Bragg and they put that bray on my head after a couple years of very pleasant training, Yeah, <laughs> but, um, got to serve on an SF team and travel around the world with my best friends and decided it was time to go to college after a bit of that. And I uh, earned a business degree from Ohio state and got interested in politics, uh, wow. started, you know, working on campaigns and decided I should run for office myself and eight years in the state Senate. And, and now four years, uh, as Ohio secretary of state, um, well, thank Not always you. the best way to earn a living, but a great way to serve, and that's the way I view it. Well, thank thank you for your service, and uh, you know uh, the uh, the sacrifices um, that uh, the military families make. Your your wife and your daughters, uh, if they were yeah. uh, in play at the time, but uh, as a son of a politician, uh, your family is still serving. That is a rough thing on a family, especially with young kids yeah. and. You know, I, we don't we don't know, need to go into my autobiography. But what got me spooled up on you, uh, Secretary of State, Frank, uh, what, what got me so interested were two things that are really in the news. The election security issues raised uh, in particular recently by the True the Vote uh, people and this movie Dinesh D'Souza came out with. And also uh, there's a constitutional amendment that you just testified about. And then I guess thirdly, I, I should just, you know, generally throw in that, um, you know, that th th there's there's this uh, incredibly complex and I don't think the public can really understand it. I don't even understand it. And I do have a law degree. Uh, the redistricting nightmare uh, that descended yeah. on, on Ohio's election. So I think uh, I'll quit talking and let you just kind of. Uh, ruminate a little bit about those three topics and then my my co my 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 fellow uh commentators uh please jump in whenever you guys want to well let's start in reverse order uh redistricting it's important for folks to understand kind of the timeline uh, on this and what has gone down first of all ohio reformed the process a few years ago two constitutional amendments were approved by over 70 percent of ohio voters to making a more balanced process. The idea was to have a opportunity for Republicans and Democrats to collaborate and compromise on this process. And, and I was hopeful that we would be able to, to do that. Um, where it started to go wrong from the very beginning was when the Biden administration was egregiously late getting us the census data. 
you can't draw district lines unless you have census data because you got to know where people live and how many live in each jurisdiction and, and that kind of thing. They are required under federal law to get us that data by the 1st of April. Uh, it was, uh, here comes uh, April 1st and no data, and then comes May 1st, still no data. In June, I talked to the attorney general and I said, Dave, we, we might have to file a lawsuit against the Census Bureau to get the data that they owed us you know, three, three months ago. He did that. Um, and finally, the Census Bureau coughed up the data that they owed us in August. It was mid-August at that point, almost a half a year late. And um, so that put us at a great disadvantage. But we started working dutifully to, to, to draw maps. Um, you know, I, what, what lies at the heart of this new process is the ability for people to roll up their sleeves and compromise. That's not a, a failure. A compromise in, in, in democracy means statesmen and women solving problems by working together. Uh, the problem was that uh, there wasn't a great interest in compromising really candidly from the right or the left in some in some instances. I had some of my Republican colleagues say, well, we've got the majority, so we can do what we want to do. Uh, that wasn't a great way to start. Uh, but even worse, some of my Democratic colleagues on the commission, when I sat down to try to find some middle ground with them, they looked me in the eyes and they said, we're going to get our way in court. They said, well, why would we want to sit down and cut a deal with you? Because we think that we're going to get uh, what advantages us in the litigation that's going to result from this. And I said, wow, that's a, I guess this negotiation's over, right? If there's not going to be that opportunity to work together. The, the burden of being in the majority, when your party's in the majority, is that you have to govern. You don't get to just sort of throw bombs from the sidelines. And so the majority on the commission is Republicans. We had to sit down and, and, and draw maps. And yeah, we drew maps that, that, that we liked. Uh, we believed that they were constitutional. Uh, we believe that they followed all the parts of the Constitution, not just the, the, the one part that the Democrats have become fixated on. And um, we passed those in September. Uh, no sooner had we passed those than a, uh, no disrespect to your profession, gentlemen, but an army of lawyers started descending on Ohio, really led by this guy uh, named Mark Elias, who, if you don't know who he is, he is the Democrat attack dog uh, his entire uh, career has been based on filing activist lawsuits to try to benefit Democrats. I mean, he has a slogan, we'll sue until they're blue. And that's exactly what they've attempted to do here in Ohio. So they filed all their lawsuits. At one point, I was the defendant. And as we talked about before the show, I'm not a lawyer, although I've got some great ones that work with me. Um, I was the defendant in 12 different lawsuits at one point as a result of all of this. And uh, the Ohio Supreme Court spent four months uh, ruminating about this. And sure enough, in January, they came back and told us, guys, you didn't draw enough Democratic districts. Well, I don't see that in the Ohio Constitution, but we believe in rule of law. So we sat down to try to remedy that, to try to draw more Democratic districts because the Ohio Supreme Court had told us to do that. And we drew another set of maps. And, and then they came back again three weeks later and said, nope, still not enough Democratic districts. And this time they gave us a number. They said, you got to draw 45 Republican, sorry, 45 Democratic districts and 54 Republican districts for the House of Representatives, and then, uh, you know, similar ratio in the Senate. Well, again, it doesn't say this anywhere in the Ohio Constitution that there's a fixed specific number, but we believe in rule of law, so we tried to do that. When we passed the map that complied exactly with what the court told us to do, 54 Republican districts, 45 Democratic districts, we were shocked that the court came back and, again, invalidated this map, this time inventing this novel legal argument that there has to be symmetry. 
and this is a new a new concept that they invented. There has to be symmetry between the Republican districts and the Democratic districts as it relates to competitiveness. So effectively, what they were telling us is that, yeah, you drew 45 Democratic districts, but you need to draw 45 safe Democratic districts. Well, we're getting to the point where the court has gotten deep into the politics of this, in my opinion, and not in the plain black and white letter of the Ohio Constitution. Uh, we're at a point now where we don't believe that we can do anything more with these districts without violating other parts of the Constitution. And, and you know, we took an oath. Uh, I can't disregard one part of the Constitution to comply with another. And uh, it seems as though this entire process comes to an end uh, with a ruling from the federal court. It appears that that is the only option. And listen, as conservatives, we seldom want the federal court to intervene. But this may be one of the cases where they can sort of put this process out of its misery and, um, and allow us to move forward. Because now I'm wearing the hat of being Ohio's chief elections officer. We don't have time to uh, wring our hands and clutch our pearls anymore about so-called fair districts, we've got to run an election. Yeah. And um, the boards of elections need to get going on that. So that's where we are in the redistricting process. It's really unfortunate. One last thing on this. The U.S. Supreme Court has been wise enough to largely stay out of redistricting. And Chief Justice Roberts said that redistricting is an inherently political process. There are two branches of government that are political. But the one branch that's not supposed to be political is the courts. Um, I would argue that it was a mistake uh, for the Ohio Supreme Court to get into the politics of redistricting and out of the plain black and white letter of what the Constitution says. And I believe that's where we are now. So, Frank, if you don't mind me asking, you said you're going to go to the federal courts to get some final resolution. You know, as an attorney, I, I sort of uh, I can't stop my brain from wondering, uh, you know, how... Uh, what, what what can a federal court do to decide something that is sort of a, is is fundamentally based on the Ohio Constitution and the Ohio Supreme Court's interpretation of the Constitution? Um, and I and I assume you're yeah. working with Dave Yost and others on this. I mean, what's the what's the plan of attack there? Well, so first of all, there's already an ongoing lawsuit where a group of citizens who were concerned about this process, and these are you know conservative, right leaning group of citizens. Uh, led by a gentleman named Mike Ganadakis, who runs Ohio Right to Life, uh, they filed a lawsuit because they saw where this was going and they were worried that their fundamental right to, to cast a ballot was in jeopardy because of this protracted back and forth between the Ohio Supreme Court and the Ohio Redistricting Commission. So this lawsuit has been ongoing now for many months. And it was a three-judge panel that was uh, impaneled as a result of that. And um, those three uh, judges, uh, at least a majority of those three, two of the three, um, issued a ruling a few months ago that said, well, if the Ohio Redistricting Commission hasn't figured this out by the 28th of May, that we are going to approve the third map that was drawn, and we're going to declare that the election shall happen on August 2nd. Um, and, uh, and so that's where it is. We anticipate that they'll make that decision shortly after this coming Saturday, the 28th of May. And, um, you know, uh, it, it's unfortunate that it's come to that, but they do have the ability when fundamental constitutional rights to vote in an election are in, in jeopardy. And that's uh, that's what we're talking about here. Yeah, that makes sense. And, and it's funny whenever you whenever people start talking about election litigation as, as an attorney, I, I would always say the justice system just moves inherently slow. But when you have things like elections on the line or whether a candidate is actually going to be uh, uh, ratified or approved. 
uh, like we like you dealt with with this last election. It's like there's a sunset on this. I mean, there, there's a time that starts ticking, and it's got to be decided fast. So I think at the end, uh, necessity sort of becomes the uh, the tantamount concern. I mean, we got to have districts, and we got to vote. Yeah, and what a lot of people don't realize, and this is where I've, I've joked with our election officials, I, I'm I'm supervised all 88 of our county boards of elections. Each, each board of elections is is run by two Democrats and two Republicans working together in a bipartisan uh, group. Uh, I, I've said the mistake you guys have made is you, you've made this look too easy over the years, and so people think that you just show up on a random Tuesday morning in some high school gymnasium and cast your ballot, and those results randomly, you know, magically scroll across the bottom of the television screen. But really, the work of running an election begins in earnest. Now, it's a year-round endeavor, but it begins in earnest 100 days before the election. A lot of this is laid out in the code, 90 days before this has to happen, 85 days before that has to happen. Well, we're well within that, that 90 days right now. In fact, we're in the 70s and before, uh, you know, 60, actually before election day at this point. And, uh, you know, we have to give the boards of elections time to do their work. Uh, and we don't want to rush them. And this is a buy. You, you only get one uh, one shot at running an honest election. And we have a history of doing that in Ohio. I'm just not going to put the boards of elections in that untenable situation of having to rush uh, to get this election done. Yeah. Look, I, I know that uh, people would love to hear about uh, like LLCs and other corporate filings. But if you don't mind, <laughs> let's stick with uh, some of these election issues. I wrote down some some words here on my list. And one is uh, one is ballot harvesting. In Ohio, Um, you know, we watched all that. We watched the Dinesh D'Souza movie, The 2000 Mules. And, you know, I think everybody is sort of awakened now to this idea of ballot harvesting. But I can't I got to I got to be honest. I've never really heard of any of that happening in Ohio. Maybe it's just because I've been asleep to it or maybe because it doesn't happen. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah. And that that film may be a little bit embellished or dramatized a little bit or or, or that kind of thing. Uh, But the, the basic premise of that is that in some states, um, there has been a practice that has been allowed for years that uh, political operatives can go around picking up ballots and delivering them to the boards of elections. Uh, candidly, it has been abused in some of those states by both Republicans and Democrats. The, the clear example of that uh, has been there have been felony prosecutions. And, and most recently in North Carolina, it was a Republican that got caught doing this, went to a Democratic neighborhood, collected up ballots, and the Board of Elections threw in the dumpster, right? Uh, that's immoral. It's illegal. Um, it's illegal in any state to do that. But that's really the scheme that can – that's one of the most dangerous schemes that can happen. Somebody goes to a Democratic neighborhood or a Republican neighborhood, they collect up ballots, and instead of delivering to the Board of Elections those ballots, they throw them away. Um, in Ohio, we've never allowed the process because we knew that that's a danger that could exist. To be very clear – there are only three people in the world that can take your ballot to the Board of Elections for you. One is yourself. You can take it to the Board of Elections if you wish. The second is an immediate family member, and it's defined in code, but, uh, you know, husband, wife, mother, father, immediate family. Uh, and then the third one would be the U.S. Postal Carrier. Other than that, no one else is allowed to take your ballot to the Board of Elections in Ohio. So this is one of the ways that we prevent ballot harvesting. Uh, in Ohio, we also have restricted the use of so-called ballot drop boxes. Now, uh, there was a big push to try to expand them. I resisted this. This was another one of those activist lawsuits that shows up in September where they want to try to make laws at the courthouse instead of the state house about elections. And we fought that. We, we have drop boxes at the county board of elections, and that's the only place. It can be at the county board of elections. 
They're under 24-7 video surveillance. They're emptied daily by a bipartisan team of elections officials. And there's signage on there that says, you know, only you or a member of your family may drop off your ballot. Uh, and so we do a pretty good job of, of preventing the kind of nonsense that you saw in that movie. But the last thing is this. In Ohio, we don't mail absentee ballots to everybody, regardless of whether they asked for one. That's what some other states do, and that is a recipe for disaster. In Ohio, you have to request your absentee ballot. You have to prove your identity using multiple factors when you request your absentee ballot. And yes, the boards verify signatures to make sure your signature matches the one on file. And then once you receive your ballot and vote it and mail it back in or drop it off at the Dropbox, you have to prove your identity again using those same identification factors. And so uh, in Ohio, we do a, a good job of preventing the kind of shenanigans that you saw in that video. But there's always room for improvement. One of the things that we've really focused on is maintaining accurate voter rolls. We remove dead people from the rolls. We make sure only citizens can get registered to vote. We're never going to apologize for that. That's an important part of the job. Um, uh, this is Norm. Um, Frank, can you... Um can you tell us then if you were to do an audit and, you know, I, I recall there was, there was one election, I would say in the last five, six years in Ohio, where I forget if it was a mayor or a state representative, but literally came down to one vote, one ballot difference between uh, his yeah. or her tally and their opponent. So every vote does matter. Um, you know, we're seeing in Pennsylvania, the margin, with Dr. Oz and his opponent is down to under a thousand votes, I think. And, you know, millions, uh, had voted over a million, uh, in, in a, in a midterm primary is pretty amazing. So I guess my question is if you were to conduct an audit as secretary of state, the envelope that an absentee ballot comes in, um, is that, is the association between that and the ballot maintained, by the 88 county boards or is it separated the the envelope thrown away with the uh signature on it so that when you and your investigators go in and try to audit you cannot no longer do it that seemed to be another big issue in trying to decide whether an election is fair or unfair so a couple things about this first of all we have this happen probably a dozen or that an election in Ohio will come down to a single vote or even be a dead tie. We had a mayor's race in Stark County last year that was decided by a coin flip because it was a dead tie. Now, often it's like a local liquor option. It's a local school district, uh, uh, school board race. It's a city council race. It's usually a small local race, but it happens multiple times every year in Ohio. So don't ever let anybody tell you that one vote doesn't make a difference. Well, hold on, let Next, me stop you there. Was that a commemorative to, yeah. coin that they flipped or was that just like a regular quarter? <laughs> <laughs> you know, the, 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 the law gives them a few options, but it's got to be something randomized. They can uh, draw straws, uh, pick a card out of a deck, uh, flip a coin. I think there's a few different choices that are available to them. But yeah, no, normally I think they just use a normal uh, U.S. coin. <laughs> um, but the other thing that we always do in Ohio is we audit every election. And it's important for people to understand that because there's been a lot of talk over the last couple of years about forensic audits and, and this kind of thing. We've never called them forensic audits, but the word forensic, all that means is application of the scientific model, a scientific method. Uh, so I suppose you could call what we do in Ohio a forensic audit. And there's really two parts. There's one part before the election 
And then there's a part after the election. I'll briefly describe these. And, and by the way, all of this is on our website at voteohio.gov slash secure, voteohio.gov slash secure. There is an infographic there that goes through how we do this. So before the election, every voting machine is tested through a full battery of tests called logic and accuracy tests. This is done by a bipartisan team. You can observe it. At, if you want to go down and watch the Board of Elections do this, there's a Republican and a Democrat who have all taken oaths of office and are bound by law to uphold those oaths. They run the machines through the full test. Then they're put in a double locked room where there's a Republican key and a Democrat key so that nobody can go in the room unless both parties are present. They make sure that those voting machines, of course, can never connect to the Internet. We don't buy voting machines that are connectable to the Internet, but they verify that nothing's been tampered with on the machines. That's before the election. After the election, we count the hard copy paper and we compare it to the electronic result, where the identity of the voter has to be severed from the ballot in order to maintain the secrecy of the ballot. We believe and want there to be a secret ballot. We don't want some government agency to be able to track how we voted. So what happens is when the Board of Elections receives your absentee ballot, there is a bipartisan team, a Republican and a Democrat sitting together at a table they both cut the ballot open together in full view of each other. They verify name, date of birth, last four of your social uh, address. They verify the signature. They pull up your signature. They look at the one on file. They make sure the signature matches. Both Republican and Democrat agree on that. At that point, your ballot is put into the scanner and the envelope is set aside. At that point, the identity is severed from the ballot so that we can maintain secrecy. But it's important to note, though, we always have a 100% paper trail, whether you vote by absentee ballot, whether you vote in person on election day, or whether you vote early at the Board of Elections. Every ballot cast in Ohio has a paper trail, and we verify those with a post-election audit. That means that they count the dead tree, wet ink, hard copy paper, and compare it to the electronic result. Every election, not every year, not every presidential election, every single election. Okay. And when we do that, we routinely have something like a 99.98% accuracy rate. In fact, that was exactly what the number was in 2020, 99.98%. Frank, what do we do about shill voting? And and I'll just give an example from my own family. So um, I, I have a member of my family that, that don't want to obviously name how it's, how this person is related, but this person is mentally retarded from birth and um, it, it therefore is incompetent. Um, this particular person does vote. Uh, the people come to his group home, um, you know, and, and, and there's a variety of capabilities in that group home. Some people are somewhat competent or perhaps fully competent. And then, the, so there's a range, Mr. Secretary, as, as, as what I'm trying to say. So it's a group home. Uh, the Board of Elections personnel uh, or volunteers, I'm not sure, 501C people don't know, ex you know how it happens, but this relative of mine does vote in every election. And what yeah. I'm concerned about and, and what uh, this person's own parents can't, can't really answer is who is assisting uh, – my relative and, and and obviously there's thousands of people in group homes all you know uh senior homes uh uh you know special needs homes uh etc in ohio there's there's thousands maybe tens of thousands of people uh maybe hundreds of thousands i i really don't know but sure. what how how do we police that how do we 
occasionally audit, you know, who is assisting these people or is this person voting for this candidate or that candidate of their own volition? Or is there a, you know, is there somebody there with an agenda that's telling them how to vote? So this is a, uh, a topic that a lot of people are interested in. So let's talk about this briefly. First of all, there is a process under law whereby a judge can declare someone incompetent to be an elector and really disenfranchise that person from voting for the rest of their life. I can tell you very few judges are willing to do that. And I don't think we want necessarily to see that happening where uh, a you know officer of the court is deciding who is, is capable enough to be a voter and who's not. That's a, a could become a slippery slope. And so in most cases, even people with profound disabilities are very seldom found incompetent to be a voter. Um, here's the way that we've addressed this. Uh, we make sure that each county board of elections has in place a procedure to go to these congregate living environments. Now, in the case where someone lives at home with relatives, they may receive their absentee ballot. It's a, a, you know, it's a trust thing that their relatives are going to assist them in casting their ballot. And those are one-off situations. But when you have dozens or maybe hundreds of people living in a congregate setting, a nursing home, uh, some sort of a special needs community, like the one that you described, the board of elections comes out in the weeks leading up to the election and effectively runs a polling location for a couple hours at that location, at that home. Um, that, that It is required to be staffed by a Republican and a Democrat. And again, this is that trust but verify. The Republicans and the Democrats are meant to keep each other honest. And remember, the Republican is there because he or she has the trust of the county Republican Party. The Democrat is there because they have the trust of the county Democratic Party. They have to be approved to fulfill these roles. They go out to the nursing home. They go out to the special needs community, and they allow these residents to cast their ballot in the way that they see fit. But they make sure that there's not a partisan favoritism happening. For example, somebody may say to these poll workers, well, I want to vote for the candidates whose name end in a vowel. Well, okay, as an Italian-American, I guess that could accrue to my, to my benefit. But, <laughs> uh, you know, then th- the Republican and the Democratic poll worker will talk them through that. Again, the Republican makes sure that the Democrat isn't cheating. The Democrat makes sure that the Republican is cheating. And these individuals are allowed to cast the ballot of their choice at whatever ability level they have. That's the best way we found to address this. And this is something that we police the boards of elections, even uh, I'm actually out in Hardin County right now, a small rural county. And they were just talking about uh, putting their team together for nursing homes uh, to go around for the upcoming uh, primary that's likely to occur, uh, occur August 2nd. And they were planning for that right now. And in a county like this, there may be, you know, eight or 10 nursing homes, and they were already making their plan for how they're going to cover all of those nursing homes to make sure that there's a fair opportunity for these people to have that, that chance to vote. You want to talk about that constitutional amendment, Frank, uh, that you testified in favor of? Yeah, so the bottom line is this. American elections should only be available to American citizens. This is a pretty straightforward thing, and most of us, Republicans and Democrats, agree on this, right? I, I, don't, think, uh, I don't think there's a lot of support out there, among Ohioans anyway, for allowing non-citizens to vote in an election. Um, the good news is it's already illegal for non-citizens to register or to vote for state or federal elections. Where the law is not clear is for local elections. 
In fact, there's an opinion from the Ohio Legislative Services Commission that says that if a local municipality or a village under their home rule authority chose to allow non-citizens to vote in city council races or school board races or uh, you know something like that, that it's a gray area. It's not clear whether that would be possible. Now, some people have said, and this is where I think the press has not exactly reported this straight all the time. They've said, well, isn't it already illegal? Why are you guys doing this? You're just trying to, to get attention or, or trying to stir up a, an issue. Well, this is not an abstract idea. We've actually had somebody try to do this in Ohio. In 2020, the village of Yellow Springs, which is a very liberal community out in Greene County, they passed a village resolution to allow non-citizens to vote in their elections. Now, I got involved as the Secretary of State, and I told the Greene County Board of Elections, we will not do this. We will not process voter registrations for non-citizens. We will not allow non-citizens to vote. Uh, they could have sued me, and we don't know whether they would have won or not, but I was able to keep them from doing it in the 2020 election. Uh, what this constitutional amendment that's been proposed in the legislature simply does is it adds local jurisdictions to the list of state and federal jurisdictions where only citizens may cast a ballot. Hmm. This is not anti-immigrant. This is nothing about race. In fact, I've had the chance to preside at naturalization ceremonies, and I can tell you the 200 people that stood in front of me and raised their right hands and took the oath of citizenship in the state statehouse uh, two years ago, uh, these are people that know the value of citizenship, that know how how hard they had to work, all they had to risk to earn citizenship. I, I, I say ask those new citizens, those new Americans that have raised their right hand to become an American citizen, ask them if we should cheapen the thing that they have earned by giving it away to people that haven't earned it. I predict they would tell you no. I think that new American citizens, new American immigrant families that have earned their citizenship would tell you protect the value of citizenship and do not allow non-citizens to cast a ballot. Yeah, yeah. It, not surprising, Yellow Springs, the home of Dave Chappelle, would come up with that. So, if, if, <laughs> exactly. Frank, let me ask you. And uh, I know you've been talking quite a bit, and I, I truly, truly appreciate it. But uh, you know, there, there's this. There's been a lot of backlash around the country, particularly on the right. I think about some of the election procedures that happened, uh, at be, quote, because of COVID, or to protect people's health because of COVID, and some of the changes in various states' laws that were made in order to facilitate voting uh, safely. And I think some of that, uh, there's an accusation, maybe true, maybe not, that it, it went it, it went far enough in a direction that it, uh, that if the, if the election weren't rigged, it certainly created, uh, created a fertile ground for that to happen. And I guess, what are your thoughts yeah. on that? And, and what did Ohio do differently? Or what's the plan for the future if there's another pandemic coming around a corner like chicken pox or monkey pox, whatever the heck the, the next one is. So what you saw happening in many states was what I at the time called crisis opportunism. You saw uh, groups, activist groups on the far left that were convincing, in some cases well-intentioned, in other cases people that may not have had good intentions, but convincing elections officials to abandon their best practices, to abandon, in some cases, what their own state laws said under the justification that, well, there's a pandemic, so we've got to do all of these things. Um, we resisted that in Ohio. I've told people I serve in an executive capacity. My Boy Scout handbook is Title 35 of the Ohio Revised Code. I don't get to make up what I want the law to say. We carry out what it says. 
We also fought the activist lawsuits. I was sued five times in the month of September alone. The AG and I were ready for that. We fought those lawsuits. We didn't settle them. In some states, even states with Republican secretaries of state, they would cut a deal. They would enter into a consent decree with the ACLU and give them 30% of what they asked for to make the lawsuit go away. There's a couple of problems with that. The first one is it's rewarding bad behavior. It's like paying the hostage taker his ransom. He's only going to take more hostages when you reward them that way. But the second problem is it creates an opportunity for bad things to happen when untested new procedures are put in place at the last minute. And it causes confusion and chaos for the poll workers, for the voters, for everybody involved in elections. We fought all five of those activist lawsuits and we won all five of them. We didn't allow them to sue until we're blue, which is the strategy I told you about at the beginning of this conversation, because election law should not be made at the courthouse. It should be made at the statehouse. And like I had the rhetorical question for some of these groups that popped up in September with their bright ideas about how we should revolutionize the way we run elections in Ohio. The question is, where were you six months ago yeah. when you could have brought this idea to the General Assembly and tried to get it passed the right way? Well, they knew that they weren't going to be successful with that. So they tried to do it through the courts. So did bad things happen in other states? They absolutely did. Did We were able to keep that from happening in Ohio and follow our rules and follow what we know works. And by the way, in Ohio, we had ample opportunities for everybody to vote. This old tired line about Republicans trying to suppress the vote. If that's my objective, I'm positively terrible at it because we had a record turnout. Of course, that's not my objective. We want to see everybody that is eligible participate in every election we have, but we want it to be honest. Yeah. We don't try to suppress the vote. We had a record turnout in 2020, and we've had a few years of record turnouts in Ohio, and we're proud of that. The question of, was the 2020 election stolen? I can tell you, in Ohio, we ran an honest contest. But I can tell you, in other states, things happened that shouldn't have happened. For sure. The question is, was that enough to change the outcome? Who knows? It's an unknowable thing. Yeah. It would be like saying if uh, Baker Mayfield had been healthy last season, would the Browns have gone to the Super Bowl? I don't know. There's no way to know that, right? Come on, you know and that so one. Things happened in other states. <laughs> <laughs> they would have blown it. Things happened in other states that yeah, things happened in other states that shouldn't have happened, and 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 we need to call those out and and prevent them from happening. But it's not some like secretive cloak and dagger black ops thing. It's usually out in the plain light of day and the the worst shenanigans happen right out there where people can see them in a courtroom in most yeah. cases. And, and that, that's the thing that we fought against and resisted here in Ohio. Let me ask, um, um, you know, I, 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 we're probably getting close to your time limit, but let me, let me uh, ask this. Um, in Florida, Governor DeSantis recently signed a bill uh, providing for um, um, investigative uh, officers, police, essentially, uh, to assist the Secretary of State in Florida uh, so that um, he or she in Florida would have law enforcement to investigate election fraud and crimes and, uh, and you know, to, to pursue uh, tips, the, this kind of thing. Who, first of all, would you need something like that in Ohio? And if not, what... Who are your troops, uh, Frank? Who who do you have at your disposal? Is it the state patrol? Or who who uh, who are the people you turn to to where the rubber meets the road to go in and uh, and and uh, and conduct criminal uh, investigations? Well, so this is a very insightful question, and um, in in some part, I'm going to say stay tuned because we're actually going to have an announcement coming on this very soon. Uh, 
again, I've learned to look to what the law says. And this is an idea that I had probably a year ago. Um, what authority do I have as far as investigating when there are reports? And uh, turn to Title 35 of the Ohio Revised Code. It actually says already that the Secretary of State has the authority to investigate allegations of crimes related to elections. The problem is this office doesn't have and never has, as far as we can tell from the last six or eight secretaries that have served in this office going back uh, half a century, uh, there's never been an investigative body. There's never been investigators at the Secretary of State's office. The way it has been handled when there is a complaint that's made usually is to ask the county board of elections where it occurred to investigate it. They'll try to put some information together. If it appears credible, they will then turn it over to local law enforcement or to the attorney general's office. And of course, if it appears egregious, then they will dig in and, and, and they will launch their investigation. But what often happens is law enforcement is busy. Uh, county prosecutors are busy. In many cases, they don't want to pursue these. County prosecutors got into this line of work because they want to put dangerous people in jail, right? And that's yeah. what we want them to do. But, but um, what we're looking to do, and we've had some great conversations with our counterparts in Florida because the Florida Secretary of State's a dear friend of mine, um, we've looked at doing something similar in Ohio, and we're working to, to put that together right now oh, that where would be... we would hire a wow. few investigators. And, and that way we could dig in. And, and here's yeah. the thing. Ask any good police officer. They will tell you that the first few days after a crime occurs is what's going to make the difference between somebody getting prosecuted or not. How well the report is written up For is sure. going to have a big impact on whether the, the, the criminal gets prosecuted or not. And so the same thing here. If yeah. we actually have investigators who are experienced at elections, who understand law enforcement and understand elections administration, I think that we have a much higher probability of being able to gather the evidence we need build a packet to give them to the county prosecutor or to the state attorney general and have that actually prosecuted and have somebody pay the, the, the penalty yeah. uh, for, for, for the crime that they've committed. So that's something that we're working to build. Now, we don't want to grow government. We're not looking to create some no. new huge bureaucracy. Yeah. But what we're talking about is a small group of election integrity investigators that um, can look into these things. Well, listen, if nine out of 10 are, yeah. are nonsense, then fine. But the one out of ten that we need to dig further on, we, we need to have the ability to do that. Well, I'm, yeah, I, I, man, I, I think that's a, a great idea. I thought it was a great idea in Florida, and I'm glad you've been discussing that. Um, you know, uh, just just to refer back to your Army days, uh, there's a classic book by uh, Colonel David Hackworth called, you know, About Face, and in that book, he talks about how to gorilla the how to out gorilla the gorilla. He called it. Uh, you know, out geeing the G. And the idea was, yep. you know, with your investigators, you know, they need to kind of develop uh, tipsters. They need they need inside people at a various boards of elections that will maybe talk to them and supply them inside information off the record, you know, because a board of election itself could be crooked. And if the, the system right now is to ask the board to investigate its own uh, perhaps, uh, you know, it, you know, the, the procedures are not uh, on the up and up. If that were the case, uh, you're depending on, you know, a crook basically to conduct a, an investigation of its own crookedness. Whereas, you know, if you've got the gorillas inside your agency and you can start to develop sources um, and and have that network of people placed at these various boards that will oversee things and perhaps, you know, your guys can come in as plain clothes, 
observers uh, and spot check things. That does a lot for making the voters in Ohio feel like uh, that you have the tools to ensure a, a much a much more comprehensive fair election. Accountability is important. That's something I learned in the military and something I've learned in every aspect of life. Uh, The good news is that at the Board of Elections, the accountability begins at the grassroots level, where, again, the the folks that serve as the two Republicans and two Democrats that run each county Board of Elections are recommended to me by their county Republican Party or county Democratic Party, respectively. So for a person to serve at the Board of Elections, they first have to earn the trust of their county Republican Party or county Democratic Party. So that goes a long way to making sure there's accountability at the boards. But it is also important to make sure that there is an outside investigator that can come in and look at things when there is an allegation of wrongdoing. Absolutely. Frank, let me just uh, let me run one more sort of concept by because I think you've touched on a little bit by working with Florida. And, you know, there's this there was this notion. I think it's uh, hopefully it's dead on the vine. uh, This for the people act. It was a federal uh, the Dems in Congress were pushing to sort of federalize the entire country's electoral process. And, you know, as it stands right now, we've got the Constitution basically saying the individual states are responsible for that. Um, and first, what are your thoughts on that? And secondly, to what extent uh, do you share information with other states? I know you said the Secretary of State in Florida was a close friend of yours or a close colleague. And, you know, how much of that is really going on behind the scenes, uh, productively or otherwise? So I was an outspoken opponent of not only H.R. 1, the so-called For the People Act, but several others. There were four different election takeover bills that have made their way through Congress, and and two of them uh, in the last few months were finally we were able to kill them on the U.S. Senate floor and with the help of two reasonable Democrats, Joe Manchin from West Virginia and uh, Kristen Sinema from from, uh, Arizona, helped us beat those, but I was uh, actively engaged in the uh, lobbying effort to defeat these. Americans weren't fooled. Uh, They called these bills for the People Act. They weren't for the people. They called one of them the Freedom to Vote Act. They named one of them the John Lewis Voting Rights Act, trying to tie it to voting rights and civil rights. What this was really about, it wasn't any of those focus-tested, poll-tested nonsense names. What these bills were was the Nancy Pelosi attempt to Californiafy elections. She wanted to use the power of the federal government to force all 50 states to run their elections the way California does. Folks, California is an example of how not to do it. Here's the alternative, and this is what we've been working to do. We have been working state by state to try to encourage states to pass smart election reforms. Uh, In many cases, we'd say model it after what we did in Ohio. I testified in the Pennsylvania State Senate last year because they knew they were embarrassed when the whole world was watching, and they wanted to know, why do our neighbors to the West get this right? when repeatedly we can't. So uh, we've done that. I I serve on the executive board of the Republican Secretaries of State Committee, and we've worked to develop some best practices that other states should look at. We talk to our colleagues in other states all the time, and one of my proudest moments is when another Secretary of State rips off one of my good ideas. We love that. 50 little laboratories of democracy, and in several cases, we've had other states take something that we do take my logo off it, put their logo on it, and run it just the way we run it. And that's great. We want to see that. We do not want the federal government taking over elections. We need to continue fighting that. And then, by the way, is one of the reasons why it's so important, uh, the Senate election this fall, and one of the reasons why you know I, I got involved in, and supported uh, J.D. Vance when, when he was running, uh, because I think that it's crucial that the Republicans take back the majority in the Senate. Uh, so that we can kill bad ideas like this uh, and, and not have them come within a, a breath 
as they did just a few months ago of becoming law. Well, look, I, I tell you what, uh, we, we're not going to take up any more of your time, but uh, all we can do is thank you, thank you, thank you. That was uh, most insightful. And I think I, I, I'll say this uh, unabashedly. Anybody who listens to this, anybody who uh, hears how you explained all these things, if they if they can't see this as reasonable, rational, or otherwise fair, uh, I don't know what else we could do because it sounds like you're on top of all these issues. We didn't uh, we didn't uh, offer or talk to you in advance about the questions or anything. You were just you have all this at your fingertips. Uh, ready to talk about, and it's uh, most impressive. So thank you very much. Thanks. Thank for- you, guys. In, in Ohio, we make it easy to vote and hard to cheat. That shouldn't be a partisan thing. That's what we want. And um, the reminder is consider signing up to be a poll worker. VoteOhio.gov is the place to do it. If you're an Ohio resident, we need you to be one of these bipartisan poll workers that does the, the work of actually running elections. And make sure that you're registered to vote or think of a young person in your life who maybe turned 18 this year. Ask them to go to VoteOhio.gov and get registered to vote as well. Um, and, uh, and I appreciate it. We're proud of what we have here in Ohio. We need to fight to continue doing it the right way. And I think other states should take a look at the way we do it here in the Buckeye State. All right. Great, Frank. Thank you very much. Hope to talk to you again soon. Thank you, sir. Thanks, guys. Yep. See you soon. Bye. Put silver wings <laughs> on my son's chest. Make him one of America's best. A hundred men will test today, but only three become Green Beret. Well, I got to tell you, Frank is, uh, that guy is on it, man. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, there was not, he did not no. bat an eye. And I meant it. We didn't seed any questions. We didn't no. talk to him in advance. We didn't no. uh, prepare him. No. Um, I had no idea what to expect there when uh, I heard, when Normie set this thing up and, we just asked questions and he talked intelligently about every single topic there is out there. And not only just generally, but actually in details about things that he's doing, things that he's got planned. Yeah. Um, knows the law. Uh, this guy is in, uh, you get the sense, you get the very distinct sense that he does mean it. He just wants everybody to vote and he wants a fair count. I get the impression he's his own man. You know, this guy was criticized by Trump and JD Vance, you know, likewise, uh, took shots at Trump and Trump took shots at J.D. And I think it's very telling that at that Delaware rally, Trump decided to endorse J.D. Vance. So he overcame his personal friction. And he also uh, has endorsed um, Frank LaRose for reelection this fall uh, for uh, secretary of state. So Trump has endorsed both guys and he had problems with both guys. And I think that says a lot for both J.D. and Frank LaRose that, you know, I mean, after all, Trump's the 800 you know, pound gorilla that they were able to either show Trump that, you know, they have cred, you know, like, dude, I'm doing my job. And and they've changed their opinion uh, about Trump and he has changed his opinion about them. So I, I like I like the fact that I mean, I'm not a big fan of Trump personally. But I like the fact that these guys are their own men. I feel good about the fact that they're not just bootlickers and lackeys and, you know, like whatever. Bootlicker. Dun- I haven't heard that forever. Yeah. Like, you know. Greedy potlickers and bootlickers <laughs> like that. Yeah, like they're, they're, they're just not, you know, they're not jocks, jockstrap sniffers. You know, they're, they're not these kind of guys that just, well, whatever Donald says is, you know, like that's good with me. No, they, they're well, actually get, thinking through the issues. You get the impression that 
if any, like even if it, no matter what side it's on, you sort of get the impression that Frank is going to uh, come down on the side of giving a fair count. Like he's not going to be, do. he's not going to be a hack I do. trying to get a Republican outcome. I do. And I like the fact that he mentioned the first, the first election that true the vote busted was a Republican in North Carolina, yeah. which was in the movie. So, well, look at this. Go ahead. Uh, you know, you, uh, this last presidential election we had, Donald Trump got more votes. Yes, he did. Than he won with. Yeah. And Biden received more votes. <laughs> yeah. Than whenever he was vice president. Or the, you know what I mean? Than Obama got. Yeah. Than Obama got. Yeah. yeah. So crazy. There crazy. were more on both sides. Yeah. yeah. Had more votes than ever. Yeah. Well, than they, ever we had, and so yeah, you got to look at it as like there was a couple teams on the streets cheating. No question. One side won. And, but is it, did they win because of the cheat or did, would they have won anyway? We'll never know. We all know. And and that's the hard part about this guy's job is like, he, they, like I said, there's always a sunset provision on vote, cha- on election challenges. Like somebody is going to get the. Now, I didn't bring it up, but me and Shorty both received absentee ballots in the mail. Yeah, that's right. I meant to ask him that. Um, and I wondered if that was uh, just a COVID provision. Now, it seems like uh, he said no. So. It's it, if that happened. I it's never, interesting. I never received them before, and I didn't request them. I don't know but if I did we or not. did receive them. Well, what I got in the mail was instructions on how to get an absentee. Oh, ballot. maybe that's it. I don't know. That's what I got. I did not get a ballot. I got instructions on. I think I did get I, something. I, like I think that. you're right. I think I, 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 think, think, I don't think I got a ballot. I think yeah. I got instructions. It doesn't matter. But I we remember. It. I remember getting it. I, I, I took it to my accountant and said, yeah. put it in a shredding pile. Yeah, yeah Jared, shred this. I remember that mailing. And because and now I, you know, I, I my kids are gone. But because my kids had been registered prior to moving out of state, uh, I got those same. So each member of the household, just like your household. So we got four uh, at, at my house. And uh, yeah, same thing. And, and it, but but it wasn't a ballot. But it was a multiple page thing that you had to tear apart and it had instructions and it was easy so you could fill out a slip and send it right back, no stamp required, to request a an absentee ballot. So if you got somebody intercepting your mail, that there's still it, it, it goes to his point. The more of that kind of stuff you do, or maybe Dinesh's point, the more of that kind of stuff you do, the more opportunity there is to yeah. be fraudulent. Yeah. Yeah, that's just the bottom. And there's one other thing I wanted to talk. I didn't want to push back on him because not in the context of that conversation, but it scares me whenever we have the same body that's controlling something also investigating. Absolutely. And when like creating, and I don't know what the solution is. If he's going to create his own investigative team, it's hard to get it. It's hard to get an independent investigation. There's like, and I look, I've said this when Jared and I had the. United Socialists or whatever down here doing a fundraiser. <laughs> I said this to them. I said, listen, I think you guys are great guys and I trust you completely to do the right thing, but I don't trust the guy that comes after you. I don't, I don't trust the, the guy that gets elected like twice, yeah, twice right, away from right, now. Right, right. So that's how it always is, right? You create an authoritarian sure. regime. It's like Nero comes along and he's a lunatic right? and he's not going to put fair people in place. So yeah. I trust Frank implicitly, especially after talking to him. I mean, he, he's, he's a guy that you know is not going to intentionally be fraudulent, but right. He could have investigators that will. He can have uh, his own investigative uh, unit that uh, is easily corruptible. And that's what worries me about elections is like it has to police itself. And how do you do it? I, I don't have the answer. It just uh, how do you do it? Well, it sounds like he's 
we got a new force coming on. Yeah, I think it'll be small. I don't see the legislature giving him a giant police force. It'll be small. It'll probably be a dozen, you know, 10, 12, you know, investigators, something modest. Uh, But I think that there is enough concern amongst the electorate, the citizens of Ohio, when they look at just something like Dinesh's movie, people, when he, when he was in the movie, when, when the other people like Dennis Prager and, and, uh, and some of the other hosts on, uh, on, uh, on, on that uh, network, um, it, it, it was obvious that all of us felt something was wrong about the election in 20, uh, 2020. We, just something felt wrong about it. How could Trump win Ohio by 8%, right? And then in some of the neighboring states like Michigan, not, not win. When, when the previous election, it was, you know, he had succeeded. And you know, so it, it just, it didn't make any sense. He lost Pennsylvania. There's a lot of stats out there though. And I, I'm, I'm only, I'm only regurgitating what I've heard. So yeah. I, I'm not researched this. I don't, please don't. No, it was just an uneasy there's a, feeling. There's a lot of stats out there that suburbia, suburban soccer moms, yeah, didn't vote for Trump, but Ohio has those too. Yeah, I know. Right? Well, it, see, and that, that's the thing. But that's the anomaly. So, right, you've got uh, what kind of forces were guiding that? And, and like, you're not gonna, uh, you know, they didn't, and they they know that. So it's like you're not gonna, you, you got to overcome that problem if you're gonna attribute it all to some sort of fraud. It just is. It was such a unique election with COVID, with all the stink about the rules that got really relaxed. And then you had this guy who's the most polarizing asshole when he wanted to be, yet a, an awesome, like, great policies, and the country was humming along. So it's like you, you have uh, – it was such an anomaly. I don't but know if there's Phil- anything to compare it to. Philadelphia, I mean, uh, over a 1,000 mules, right, in sure. one area. And, of course, those get amount- – so so Trump didn't just win, like, that county. You, you don't win county by county. It's an aggregate number for that state, Right. And so a thousand mules in a, in a city that's almost a hundred percent Democrat. Oh my God. I mean, to, to pay these people 10 bucks a ballot to go out there and harvest them and then to it's drop. A big deal. Oh dude, it's a big deal. Some people made some Jack. Yeah. They can make that much. I, I found that that's when what they, the they, they threw it out $10. I was like $10 a vote. That's it. Well, yeah, I mean, I mean look, for guys catching, I mean, catching a couple hundred bucks. Dude, 20, 20 boats is 200 bucks. What are they making doing Uber Eats? 500. Know. You know, it's like, to them, it's like a voting Eats or it's a Uber for votes. 500 <laughs> you know? votes, five grand. I mean, I don't think it's chicken feed, especially yeah, yeah. if a 501c pickup point. So you're not actually, all you're doing is you're the mule. You're going to the 501c3. You don't have to find the votes. You just have to deliver them. Yeah. And if you're getting paid 10 bucks a pop per ballot, dude, that's some jack. After yeah. all, Zuckerberg and these guys, Zuckerberg threw almost half of a billion dollars to uh, in close elections to assist bring, get out the vote. And he, and he sprinkled that money on Democrat 501c's. Well, we, we got So that's where the money came from. We we got we got to wrap it up. I, did, I meant to ask him about the machines and whether they were hacked or and some of that, but uh, we got, I think I am comfortable that Ohio is fair. Now, whether the rest of the country, I believe Ohio is fair. Yeah. I do too. I, I, feel, I mean, I, you, did you, you just feel it was fair when you were? I, I always, I did too. I, yeah. I did. I, yeah. I felt like Ohio had it. Yes, yeah, so that's I right. I mean, look at it this way: right. DeWine got reelected. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Right. Right. And there's any time, and, and he blew him away. That's right. 
He was yeah. way up there. That's right. Yeah, well, And Trump won by 8%. So I feel like because we didn't have these third-party drop boxes and we didn't have these other things, you weren't allowed to have a post-election season you know, in Ohio and all these other things they did in Arizona and Pennsylvania and Georgia. They broke their own state constitutions, whereas Ohio stuck right. by its state constitution. And we'll never know. There's no way to prove it. It'll just be an asterisk forever. Yeah. And that's just what it'll be. Once but that outer envelope is disassociated from the ballot, it's done. Audit, it's done. You can't do anything about it. You can't it. go back and audit it. Yeah. No. Well, look, uh, this was great. Um, and I'm going to, I got some other guests coming up too, Norm, that uh, we'll talk about off the air, but, uh, sure. uh I do, uh, there's another one I've been reaching out to that I think will be uh, the a, best a nice guest. little tandem. The best guest that we have is Jared, that yeah, Jared, Jared, Jared is, is now back full time, I hope. And, and, and has gone from his appearance a couple, uh, shows ago as just coming back to now he's in the house all the time. This, that's. To yeah, me, it's, it's almost like old. It's almost like old times again. Yeah, and he's and he's confusing me and mixing me up and getting me to go what and got, yeah. So, so yeah, it's all it's all it's what Jared. Yeah, does. we we watched that movie together. I looked at it. I think you should prove what I looked at. I looked at defense. Yeah, I was exactly. defending every, and I was like, I could defend them all. Yeah, I, I could defend them all. <laughs> I know. It's because all because speculation because it's all there's no firm evidence. But here's the thing: it's like it's like in uh, say healthcare fraud, and yeah. then we'll wrap it up. So healthcare fraud, I, I'm gonna I'm a home health aide, and my job is to come take care take care of Norm. Uh, so I show up and I take care of Norm on Monday, but I forget the hours I work. So you know what I do? I just put I just lump them in all together on Tuesday. So I did eight hours on Tuesday instead of four on Monday and four on Tuesday, and I submit the forms. Yeah. Um, and then I get indicted because it's fraud. Not only is it fraud, I have to pay the money back. Now, you got the care that you were entitled to get, and I got paid what I was entitled to get paid, but the procedure was the crime. And uh, if I don't follow the procedure, it becomes the crime. And this voting thing is sort of like that, except people don't get convicted uh, or that you can't overturn it and they don't have to pay the money back. In healthcare fraud, they got to pay the money back, even if they earned it. Here, you don't have to get your vote back, and there's no way to track it after that. Yeah. So, but what you're talking about, what we're looking at is a clear crime. You know, these guys aren't allowed to go submit five votes no. because they they don't have five family members, most of them probably. And they're not so, allowed to be paid. And yeah. they're not allowed to be paid. But there's no consequence for it. It's just, just yeah. keep it on churning and burning. Right. The only, except for this, eyebrows are raised. And, you know, I get Frank said it's a little bit over-dramatized. But still, well, you it's can, offensive. You can tell he feels the heat. You can tell he feels the need. If he's asking for investigators... He's not just doing that for PR reasons. He knows there's hanky-panky. He wants to get out in front of any problems that are going to come, and this is going to be a very, very important election coming up in November. That's right. And he wants the trains running on time, man. That's what he wants. He wants Ohioans so. to feel confident that their vote mattered and that it was a clean election. And I did. In November, I felt like everything was fair here in Ohio. I have, no, I mean, how would I know either way? But I, I did, too. I, I did not. I did, too. I did not hear about any shenanigans. No. What do I know? Yeah. All right. Well, with that, we're going to wrap it up. A great episode with Frank LaRosa. Check him out. You can just go to the Secretary of State. They actually do a little bit more than just voting. They like LLCs and corporate filings and business entities, things like that. There's lots of interesting stuff if you're into that. It's not really interesting, but if you're into it, you might want to go check it out. Uh, if you want to learn about how the voting works, 
Uh, he's got it all right there on the website as well. So check that out. Uh, here at Lawyer Talk, we're taking on all guests, all comers, at least interesting ones. If you got your own questions, topics you want us to cover, go to lawyertalkpodcast.com. You can submit your question right there in the easy-to-access question interface. You can also subscribe to the podcast. You might as well when you're there. Just hit click. I don't know what it says. Subscribe, probably. So just hit click and subscribe. Like us. Be part of us. Download. Do whatever you're supposed to do with podcasts, and I promise you won't be disappointed. So for now, this is Lawyer Talk Roundtable off the record on the air, at least until now.